0: Hey man.
1: Hey, what's up?
0: Good. How about you? How's everything over there?
1: Good. Things are going well. Yeah. Busy time of year, but um, otherwise, no complaints.
0: Okay. Sorry to like interrupt your like holiday. What's that? I mean, sorry to sorry to be like interrupt your day off,
1: man. Oh, no, you're all good. It's actually – we have a game today, so oh. I'm in the office anyways, getting ready to go. So.
0: Cool. So how is COVID over there? It's
1: been, uh, it's been interesting. Um, the league's obviously had some outbreaks uh, recently. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, we've already set a record for the most amount of call-ups in a season and, and all the 10-day contracts guys are getting, but it's a really cool opportunity for all of them, um, you know, to finally get an NBA some MBA experience and all that stuff, so yeah, it's been cool. Um, you know, as far as staffing wise, we've been fine. Um, it's just you know everybody's very precautious about you know who we're what, what we're doing outside of work and and you know who we're interacting with. So, so, no, you can't party, right? Yeah, no, that's a big one. Uh, <laughs> which I'm not. I mean, I'm not much of a partier anyways. But um, yeah, it's definitely. You know our exposure outside of outside of the facility in terms of going to restaurants or bars or anything like that is definitely limited now. So, cool. Yeah. Okay. How are things there?
0: Uh, we
1: just opened like
0: four months ago, okay. but the COVID is getting back. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, first of all, I know, I know, like there's a lot of. People coaches know you already but here in Taiwan like here in Taiwan we don't like really get a chance to talk with coaches with other countries so can you like still introduce yourself yeah
1: um so I'm Eric Huddleston I'm a strength conditioning coach um in my first year with the Pacers organization so I'm an assistant with the Pacers and then I also am the head strength coach for their G League affiliate Fort Wayne Mad Ants um so I've got you know, kind of both sides of that of that playing field. We're all under one roof, so we all operate operate out of the same facility. Um, like I said, it's my first season here. Before that, I was a private coach um, in a in a small gym a uh, couple miles north here in Indianapolis called IFAST. Um, and there have been a couple other coaches who are now in the NBA that have come out of kind of that that gym or the branches off that gym. So kind of felt like this was a uh, was kind of where I was going to end up in terms of career anyways so um and I always loved basketball I grew up uh, in the state of Indiana so um, obviously basketball is a big thing here and and it has been especially um you know with with the Pacers organization's been really cool so um outside of that I was in college basketball before that with Indiana University and Texas Tech University and then um, I did my undergrad at Ball State so cool yeah.
0: So how is the experience in the NBA?
1: It's been good. It's definitely different. Um, you know, every people kind of try to generalize like what training in the NBA is like and what's, what I've learned quickly is that it's different organization to organization too, because there's, there's kind of cultures set down from people in the front office and your coaching staff and all that. And, you know, the style of play that you, that you run. And so, um, I think I got scared initially into thinking that, you know, the NBA players that you work with or the, you know, the professional basketball players that you work with don't necessarily like to train. Um, They're not, you know, big on the weight room. They don't like to be coached. And I've found that to be really uh, not true of this environment, especially, Um, you know, that's credit to the people in our front office. That's credit to our GM and and bringing in people who I think are, um, you know, not only really, really good basketball players, but really, really good people in general. Um, and they take this seriously, like they they really do take um you know what we do from a training aspect, and I struggle even you know I don't like the term strength conditioning coach because I think that's really limiting um that's why you know I prefer my title to be a performance coach because we are doing speed agility, we are doing correctives, we are doing like everything that I think is is part of a well rounded kind of program for them, I think that we're trying to touch on, so um and we have guys here who are so receptive of that that it makes it really fun. We have guys here who ask great questions, um, who are really, really good at, even if I don't say it, being able to relate what we're doing back to basketball. So, like, a lot of times they'll be, you know, I'll get the question, like, what is this doing? And then I'll have to, you know, I'll have to weave that story for them of how this is going to help what they're doing um, from a basketball standpoint. But sometimes they can just see it. And it's great because you know, we're able to be as individualized as possible here and that that helps me to um that helps me to get a lot of buy in with the guys that I work with. So I'm I'm very, very fortunate. I was scared at first to answer your question, scared at first that this was going to be a lot of me, you know, hitting a brick wall. And it's been very, very much the opposite since I've been here. So
0: cool. Glad to hear that. Yeah. So it's fun now, right? It's fun.
1: Yeah. No, it's been great. It's uh, yeah. It is. It is. Uh, I don't have a bad day at work, so. That's cool. A cool. Yeah. Cool.
0: <laughs> nice. So, I I want to jump into the first question about like, periodization, or mm-hmm. like planning for like in season and off season, especially, at the level of NBA. So many games and back to back to back to back, back. So how do you program like training sessions for these kind of like players and this this kind of schedule?
1: Right. Um, I mean, periodization is is great in theory. I don't know that it actually exists here. Um, there are there are really you know, four kind of outlined athletic qualities that I look for. And so I think that as long as I'm touching on all of those all the time, um, then I'm kind of building out this, this yearly plan of, okay, this is when we kind of need to be peaking, even though, you know, what does that even mean? Like, do I only need my athletes to be good, you know, in the postseason? And I don't really agree with that either. So um, most of it I would say is a plan of, you know what are we limited in so that that gets into your testing right so so all of these guys go through table measures, all of these guys we have force plates here that they go through and and there's a there's a kind of myriad of other things that they're going through from a performance testing standpoint. you know what are they limited in what are like what are those limitations going to decrease from their performance on the court or what is it going to decrease from a uh, from a, an availability standpoint if they you know if we don't correct this issue are they going to be hurt? And then how do we maximize, you know, balance those two things out uh, with, you know, kind of the lowest hanging fruit. Um, and so that makes the programming kind of, kind of easy because it is so individualized for everybody here. Like even though they're all basketball players and they all play the same sport, they've all got different needs, especially now with going back and forth between teams. Cause a lot of our guys uh, from the G league will get called up um, to the main team. And so I don't see them for a little bit. And then they come back down and, or they're going to different NBA teams. Um, And so I have to be really mindful of, of, you know, what their game minutes are, is their conditioning being met? If they're low minute guys, is their conditioning being met outside of basketball? Because they don't have the court time that I would expect them to have. Um, And then outside of, outside of, you know, for my high minute guys, am I balancing the stresses that they have from day to day to make sure that we're at least moving the needle in the direction that we need to be at the end of the day from a training standpoint? So you know, everybody is is um, everybody's got an asymmetry that they deal with in basketball. I don't know that I'm trying to minimize that from a training standpoint, but um, I do want to make them as efficient as possible within that asymmetry. Um, and so that's where a lot of my training goes towards. And I've I've had a lot of experience with table measures over the years. So that's been most of what I've done and how I base that off of now. But it's cool to have some technology here that that kind of supports that um, from a from a more uh, from a more objective training standpoint.
0: So you mentioned there's like force plate, that kind of stuff. So what kind of like testing you're going to use before like training athletes?
1: Yeah. So, so we really only use a counter movement jump here from a force plate standpoint. Um, and, and, I know that that's limiting in the fact that people say, "Okay, like that's that's clearly a jump, but it has so many other connotations to it. Right. Like um, like the eccentric portion of that jump is going to help me identify, okay, like, are they going to be good at breaking? Are they going to be good at landing? Are they going to be good at the decelerative portion of a jump? Um, Are they going to be good in in decelerations on the court? So I understand it's a vertical vector and we're looking at counter movement jump that's straight up and down. But there's a lot of other ways that you can apply that. And I think that that's where people get lost in saying, you know, these are like having this big global test that are going to be more sport specific. And I'm like, okay, like they are jumping quite a bit, but I can see where this applies in a lot of other areas. So I try to keep that in mind and understand that, um, you know, the left versus right differences that I'm seeing there, there's probably an explanation on the court for why I'm seeing that on the force plate also. And then, is it a problem that i need to address so you know we have a great uh staff here that's able to um, since i'm newer with this that's able to go through the data and kind of point out things you know from a red flag standpoint that i would need to look at and then that's where the creativity of your training kind of comes in to be able to say this is how i'm going to address that this is where this person is at in terms of of what they're comfortable with doing because so much of this in our environment is you know are they you know, I have ideals when I'm looking for a lift or when I'm looking for a program to put together. And then when I actually have the person in front of me, if they're not comfortable doing the movement that I'm asking for, I can't just force them into that exercise. I have to be able to say, OK, this is going to get me those same things, um, but it's going to be something that they're more comfortable with. So a lot of it's meeting them where they're at. And then you, you, you're able to make changes in, as, as you go and kind of apply it differently. Um, so that hopefully it gets the change that you're looking for
0: cool besides force play besides kind of movement jump is there a other tests you you're going to use
1: from like a from like a data science standpoint yeah uh not for me um you know i think that that generally is is kind of the go to right now and again like i'm i'm very new with the access to technology like this it's not something that i've had before in settings um and so You know, we kind of have a a theory here, an idea here that that we don't want, you know, whatever we do from a testing standpoint to be the uh, the end all be all for uh, decision making when we come to when it comes to training. Like we want to still base that on the the person who's in front of us. Um, But it's it's good to have, you know, to be able to go to your front office and have have metrics that that explain, you know, where you've made progress or things to keep an eye on because numbers make sense to some people and again for people who are outside of our range i can look at an exercise and say okay this is not um you know they're going to be limited in this or or i can do table measures and understand like what limited hip internal rotation looks like for people outside of our scope this is that's really really difficult um for them to be able to do so my hope is that um that you know, we continue to expand that, but I don't want it to be something that at the end of the day is an ultimate decision maker for me. So I try to have that be something that helps us correlate some things um, at the end of the day.
0: Cool. So I'm gonna jump into the next topic about like multi-directional movement, right? Which I was like fascinated by your Instagram post. <laughs> There's, I mean, I mean. There's a lot of posts. I'm, I'm like, whoa, that was so cool, and <laughs> so <appreciate> smart, <laughs> and it was so smart, man. Especially for basketball, right? Yeah, yeah. So, for multi-directional movement, uh, what kind of like? I mean, uh, how did you design all these move movement? Because um, there's there's not gonna there's not not always gonna be like crossover or shuffle, yeah. How do you design right. this?
1: Right. Um. So I tried to have everything. First of all, like everything that I that I posted about is is probably the result of a problem that I was trying to solve at the time with a particular client or a particular athlete. So. As long as you come into the, like, like I don't try to have my, my Instagram or anything that I talk about be so black and white that it is, um, that it's, you know, this is, this is the answer to your question. I, I try to have those posts be something that says this could potentially help someone out there if you're able to put your own twist on it based on the people that you're working with. So really a lot of those, uh, a lot of those ideas came from I needed X, Y, and Z from somebody that I was working with and the exercises that I had traditionally been told to do or, or like shown to be effective with that wasn't effective in the way that I wanted it to be. So in my mind, I had to create something or modify something to make it more effective for the people that I was working with. So that's really where a lot of that stuff came from. And then also like understanding when you talk about multidirectional movement, that in sport, multidirectional movements, when we talk about a crossover or a shuffle or, a plyo step, those happen in isolation, like I train them in a way that says, I'm going to get you really comfortable with this. And we're going to repeat it over and over again, with the understanding that you probably if you're doing a shuffle in the game more than twice, you've already got beat by whoever you're guarding, right? Like this is, they're they're not meant to be these extended, um, these extended movements, but to teach somebody how to do something like that efficiently, they have to be like, you have to be be able to have it be repeatable that's what reps are about in in any anything that we do from a performance standpoint so once you get them comfortable with that it's like okay how do you build these out to be um and again we're never going to be game specific but the way that we train in the weight room or the way that we train on the court but but how do i get this to be as um reactionary how do i build this up to be as as uh fluid as possible for them in a way that that I like the way that it looks and that I know that they're going to be able to to perform well with.
0: Cool. So uh, does that mean like you're probably going to watch let's say uh, just for basketball let's say the movement was a little bit different with like shuffle and crossover so you're going to watch let's say uh, maybe a crossover yeah they're gonna like they're gonna cut and get a layup but the, the movement was a lot different than what we used to say crossover for strength and conditioning so are you gonna like watch the video and like analyze the movement and analyze what the athlete needs and to, like design what is best for him
1: potentially i mean that's that's an option that I have right like we're we're very fortunate to have um you know technology in the arenas that allows us to watch game film um and and obviously with social media now we get a lot of different angles on everything, so I'm able to do stuff like that um you know from a from a standpoint you know even with the technology that we have on our iPhones now like I'm able to take video and slow things down on my own so the uh That is definitely cut out. Okay, it's okay. Um, Sorry about that. Um, From a from a you know, I think early on that that technology really helps because your eye for coaching has to be everything has to be slowed down, right? Especially when we're talking about change of direction, speed, agility work like that. All that stuff doesn't come quickly um until you have a lot of reps in it. So being able to have a lot of reps in what I was doing and and be able to see that now I don't have to break down film as much as I used to have to. Um it's really great for demonstrating to guys like for for you know if I'm able to take a video and show the guys look this is what this is where I think that that you know whatever drill we're doing is going to be most effective for you. Um then that tends to help. So um yeah, it's it's been cool to be able to have some access to some stuff here that that's able to help explain things better um, to guys who maybe are interested in what you're doing but but are going to be more interested when you're able to show them exactly what it's going to do for them.
0: Cool. Cool. So, there's a lot, I mean, this question also came from the post on Instagram. So, there's a lot of, like, posts, a lot of video you post is, like, like, a little bit, like, ban assisted like mm-hmm. ban assisted like lunge ban assisted like landing right yeah so why why is there like ban assisted eccentric
1: right love that question because this is this is gets this gets overlooked a lot especially when we are such a and i say we like in is in our industry um we are so output driven when it comes to the performance training that we do, right? Like everything is about producing force or being able to jump high or being able to do this and that, that, that is an output driven, um, result. Um, where I think that we, we overlook a lot of things is the input side of things. So being able to, Interact with the ground well, being able to land well, being able to absorb force, being able to not not necessarily absorb 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 is a bad word, being able to redirect force. So, um, being able to hit the ground in a landing, and be able to transfer that into the first step of our sprint, and and have that not, I mean, from an injury standpoint, right? Like have that not tear through our tissues, have that have that not cause any issue like that, but also from an efficiency standpoint, to be able to um load a muscle or or connective tissue and be able to express that on the output side it, it not only are you you likely improving the the health of that athlete but you're probably in, improving the performance at the same time because as their efficiency goes up their output typically goes up also and now they're able to handle those new stresses and the new force that, that they're able to to create so um i think those two things go really hand in hand i think that's where a lot of times in our industry you'll hear um, you'll hear stuff about well if you if you if you eliminate or reduce their compensation, like we all talk about compensation and how people get tasks done here, and if you reduce their compensation, you're going to reduce their output and I don't think that's necessarily true for everybody. I think you have just as much of a chance of increasing their output by reducing compensation as you do for the flip side of that by by actually. Um, you know, maintaining the conversation. So that's what's hard is is that it's it's all kind of this test and retest uh, after you intervene type of type of approach for things. Um, so yeah, the band assisted stuff is going to help them deweight. So as they hit the ground or what you know whatever they're doing, if we're talking about band assisted jumps. It's helping them get back off the ground quickly. So it's limiting their ground contact time. It's reducing the force that they have to put or that they had that they have to transfer through the ground um it's it's reducing the impact on their knees which is a big thing you know like if i'm going to jump guys now when we're in the middle of our season um you know i better be able to maintain that that the output end is high but that i'm also getting quality in terms of the the force uh, redistribution portion of that so that's what's really creative and, and really fun about the job that i have now is that i'm able to still balance the outputs and the inputs at the same time and have them manage those well
0: so, does that, is the concept like the pyramid you post on your Instagram?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's been a big time thing for me, um, it is being able to have, so, so originally where that came from, um, so I worked for a brilliant guy named Bill Hartman um, at IFAST, um, you know, if you guys haven't heard of him, you should definitely look him up, um, but Uh, I was probably in my first like three months working there. So I was like fresh out of school, Um, you know, really hadn't had any clients to that point. And I had a um, like a division one college basketball player come in who had been post-op on a meniscus tear and hadn't had any contact or hadn't had any like training reintroduction to sport for 13 months. So it had been over a year that he had been out of sport. Um, And so we kind of talked about, how do you introduce, like, like where do you start? How do you start training somebody who basically hasn't done anything active besides, you know, shooting shots on the ground, free throws, for 13 months, and and get them to a point where they're going to be able to play, you know, really high level Division One basketball? And so Bill talked about kind of the four stages of of, of introducing someone back into athletics, or or even making sure that you're checking off all of these boxes in terms of your training. So where that starts at in the base of that pyramid is, is accepting force, learning how to accept force. And, and that comes from both ends, right? That comes from an end that says, there are some people who are too overcome by gravity, right? So they're, they're already too uh, susceptible to, to load impacting where their body goes. Um, already. So they need to learn how to accept force in a way that, that allows them to uh, to fight gravity, to be able to stand up against load, to be able to to be output driven. And there are some people who are so output driven, they also need to learn how to accept force in a way that keeps their tissue supple, that um, that allows them not to blow through an ACL, that allows them to make a landing on the ground and have that force be distributed evenly through uh through their you know their pelvis and their diaphragm so when you have looking at it from both of those angles then okay if you check that box off and and that that view has changed for me now that i have some numbers to back this stuff up but once you've checked that box off as a coach of saying okay this person i think can accept force well it's now it's create force and then and then those build on each other and and return to sport and say now you have to be able to create force quickly so we're looking at stuff like rfd and and how able they're able to generate force and then if they're able to create force quickly repeatedly is the final the final part of that pyramid because now we're able to say that is sport right that is that's running that's cutting that's uh, you know, landing and, and transitioning into uh, into another movement is being able to create force quickly. So as long as those two, as long as those four things, sorry, are stacked well on top of each other, and we're constantly revisiting those things, and again, revisiting those things for each individual athlete is going to be different. If we've got somebody here who really, really struggles with accepting force off the bat, that's going to appear in their programming more often than it would for somebody who doesn't have as much of an issue with that portion of the, of the, the layout. So that's kind of how I approach that. And, and that's kind of how I use that pyramid, but it really applies um, not just in kind of the return to play stuff, but to anybody that I work with.
0: Yeah. So can I, can I understand it this way? The accept force is more like eccentric, yeah. And except for and create first probably like ISO then concentric.
1: Yes. So yeah, then it turns yeah, that's that's probably more where it looks like. And again, you can use um it depends on how you're using an isometric, right? Like if I'm if I'm doing a yielding isometric, so I'm I'm letting the load p- hold me at a certain point
0: that's acceptable. that is
1: right that is very so so i mean first of all there's no such thing as an isometric muscle contraction right like a, a muscle is either going to contract and shorten or it's going to lengthen so when i talk about an isometric you're, you're going to be somewhere on either end of that spectrum you're going to be eccentrically loading a muscle or concentrically loading a muscle but it's how you're how you're coaching that is really which end of that you're going towards because i can make isometrics be more force production or I can make them much more yielding in the fact that they're going to be accepting force on that so depends cool 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 love it
0: so you talk about like earlier in our conv- conversation you talk about redirecting force yeah
1: how to like redirect force sorry it depends on where they're starting at so if they're starting at a point where let's say, uh, let's use like the language that you use. So like uh, eccentric orientation, if we're starting with somebody who is very biased towards eccentric orientation, they're going to have a hard time redirecting force upwards because generally things are weighing on them very heavily. Um, these are people who aren't, uh, if you look at somebody who's who's centrally oriented or have a, has a bias for that, they're not going to be biased towards force production right off the bat. So from an athletic standpoint, they're going to be heavy footed. They're going to be low force output in terms of what their jump height looks like. They're going to be generally slow looking. And if you can identify that, then how they accept force, they have to learn how to limit the effect that downward force has on them then. So they have to be able to find that basement that says, okay, in my name, like in, in my squat, this is going to be as low as I allow myself to go rather than getting buried at the bottom of this, like I normally would. So maybe that's where we introduce a box squat. So we say, this is like, I give them a hard stop. This is where we're going to stop this time and, and they're not allowed to go any lower than that. So you start to create that, that baseline that says, okay, I'm going to be able to sec- accept this, but it's on my terms instead of the terms that I've been on before that just say, I'm going to be floppy and fall to the ground. The other end of that is someone who, who doesn't, is too concentrically oriented, let's say, to to accept force well, so they don't have any vertical displacement of their pelvis when they start to squat, so it looks like a hinge, or they, they can't, unless you load the bar up with like, you know, 400 pounds, you're not able to get to the bottom of your squat because you're not able to load that properly. So it depends on where you start from, but that's kind of what that looks like in terms of those two kind of very contrast starting points is that either they need to learn where the basement is or they need to find the basement to begin with.
0: Cool. Cool. So, uh, last question on, from the Instagram post yeah. is, is like, for all of those like movement you post. Mm -hmm. it's it's not like there's a paper or there's a research to like prove you're right. So how to to, like convince your player or convince the coaching staff to believe in you?
1: Right. Yeah, that's tough. And I think that that is – that in my setting right now is very results-driven. First and foremost, like – if I'm able to do something that looks odd with, uh, with a player and have them buy into it because of the, because of the feel that they get from it or the, the, uh, the change of performance that they feel once they've done that, because usually our things build, right? Like I have them maybe like hold a position. So we're doing something more static, um, to build a sensation. And then I have them like the next exercise right behind that might be something that is, um, That's got a little bit more movement but is re-emphasizing the feeling that i was trying to make in the first exercise and then the third exercise that i couple with that might be the most dynamic version of what i'm looking for with that so um i kind of build it out like that and as long as they're able to see where that last one goes in terms of basketball like how that's going to affect them then the second work the second exercise and the first exercise also have a little bit of buy-in from them on that so the, the big argument now is, like you mentioned, research. Like, if I'm going to base everything that I do on research, I'm going to be two years behind constantly. Um, and I, I I know that that's hard for a lot of people to hear, um, but it's true. Like, you know, the, the papers that are being published right now were started as as you know, thesis or ideas. They were started two years ago. So. I have to, we have to be comfortable with the fact that not everything that we do is always going to be backed by a paper. um, And that you work with the individual in front of you, there's nothing that's off the table for me in terms of training modalities. Like, I think when I was younger, I used to really, I used to really heavily, I used to go to towards camps really heavily, if that makes sense. Like I used to be like, oh, like, so and so, like, that's an awful way to think about something or, you know, uh this this you know static stretching that that was that's a big thing you know back in the day it's like static stretching is either you know the best thing ever or it's terrible and and you know depending on the research that you look at it's going to kind of determine what your thought process is with that but um nowadays it's like everything is on the table because i've got so many different types of people that i work with right now and if something is effective with them um, and I can explain it to them in a way that, that, that gets them buy-in, then I think that it works, right? Like it, it's, it's all about being adaptable and being, being able to be a good problem solver for the person that you're working with at the time. So I don't think everything needs to be, you know, necessarily backed by research. I don't think that everything that we do in PT or everything that we do in medicine is really backed in research, you know, as often as we'd like to think it is. So as long as I keep that mindset, um, and, the, the you know, the people in this organization, I've been really fortunate because I have a lot of autonomy here to be able to do what I want and be able to try out the things that I want to try out. And they trust me to do that. And so I think that if you surround yourself with people who are like that, then generally you don't have to answer those questions as often in terms of what you're doing. Because, you know, the the newer exercises that I introduced to the guys that I work with here, um, like they love having stuff that is New. Meant for them yeah they oh. love having stuff that's new and that's meant for them right like if there's nobody else in the room doing it they generally like that type of thing because because they know like they they crave something that is going to help them in the long run and so as long as they they know that you've taken time to think through something and and they trust kind of your your eye on something like that then i don't really have any problems with stuff like that
0: cool man love it so yeah
1: yeah so is there like
0: is there like any time you're like the the athlete didn't buy into what you're like teaching them?
1: Man, you know what? <laughs> I've been really, really fortunate. So, so you know, I'm I'm biased in this because I I came from the private sector. So, you know, I would have people who paid me to to work with me, so they didn't really question a lot of what I did. Um, and then the athletes that I have now are so um they are so good like i said at asking questions and and i think as soon as they understand that i've hopefully i when i prescribe an exercise i've thought out all the questions that they, they that they could have and so when you look at it that way like i've probably already thought of what they're going to think of because i can i can kind of put myself in their shoes and say this is what i see this exercise helping or these are where i see the questions popping up so i don't really have an issue with guys More often than not, I have, this exercise doesn't feel right or this doesn't like, I don't feel like doing this today. What's something else that we could do that that would get me the same result, but that doesn't, you know, is not this modality. And so that's where being creative and having, you know, having a large exercise library on my end helps to be able to do that kind of thing because I've had experience being like, okay, I have an ideal of what I would like to put on their program maybe that's not what they feel like doing today. So what do I do that's going to help them, you know, still get what they need to get, but isn't going to be that thing that they don't like doing. So I don't get a lot of pushback, but, but if it happens, like, look, they've, they've, this is their career at the end of the day. Like I am a facilitator of each player's own individual brand. And if I can't meet them where they're at every day, like I don't, I probably shouldn't be in this job because it it is really about making sure that they feel like they are ready to perform on the basketball court all the time. Because, you know, like you said, our games are, our games are pretty frequent at this point. So, you know, I need to make sure that they're ready for, for what they're going to do on the court, not necessarily my ego determining what we're going to do in the weight room.
0: There's a call. You're good. You're good. So for, If there's, like, for coaches out there who want to learn, like, new stuff, and, I mean, like, learn from your Instagram. Mm Mm-hmm. So is there, like,
1: anything you want to, like, say to them? Just have an open mind. I think that that so many times, uh, you know, we align ourselves with a belief system, and we hold to that like it's – like, it's the only truth that we know. And I think that there's a lot more gray area in our industry than there is black and white. I think that um, if you are a young coach, and you are convinced that, you know, this way of doing things is the only way to do things, you're you're probably limiting yourself and learning a lot of cool stuff. So, um, you know, I just recommend that people keep their minds, you know, open to new ideas. I think that being as creative as possible and always trying things out on yourself before you you know try to come up with something for an athlete is important um you know first of all you have to be able to demonstrate you know the things that that you're trying to prescribe to somebody so make sure that you can do it yourself um but yeah you know play around with new ideas try new takes on things as long as you have as long as you have reasoning for the exercise that you're putting together or or the program that you're putting together i think that you're probably good like if you're just throwing stuff in because it looks cool or because you've seen it on Instagram, or because you have, you know, you feel like you have to have, uh, you know, one, two pulls for every push exercise. Like the NSCA says, if you feel like, like you're just throwing things in the pot, um, have a reason for what you're doing. Like have a root cause of what you're trying to implement. you could be wrong, but learn from that, learn from that experience.
0: Yeah, man, it's like, it's, it's like everyone was, when we talk about like in season training, everyone's like mid type pull, core squat, or like uh, whatever. It's yeah. so boring, but yeah, but yeah, prob- uh, from Bush Exinator, I heard it from him, and he said he's gonna do some max file. I think that was cool, and probably yeah. some ISO. That was cool yeah yeah and and i don't know about you but from the from your instagram from a post i would love to like put some of those things into my in-season training and right. i think yeah, that yeah. was cool
1: yeah for sure i think that um you know you asked about periodization off the top and like i have to I have to look at this on my end because of the, the variability of our schedule and how often I'm able to see guys. Like there are some weeks when I have, I might have four or five lifts, like, like actual training sessions. There are other weeks when I'm lucky if we get two formal training sessions or one formal training session. So you have to be really, I have to be kind of micro dosing in terms of the way that I present that to everybody. But A lot of it is just vertical integration from like charlie francis right like it's being able to say you know we need to hit the stuff that is going to be really really neurally fatiguing uh, these amount of days per week or we need to be able to hit these qualities this amount of times per week and so that's where the programming comes in is being able to say okay it's been a minute since we've done um you know a 10 meter sprint um, at a max effort so like let's get that on the court today and, and make sure that we're hitting some of these things that, that we haven't been able to hit since we've been out of the weight room so that's kind of where my my mind in terms of, of how I periodize training works because having a having an ultimate plan really doesn't work when you get guys yeah that have, as, have as many games as they have or you know they're playing and they're not playing or they have a knee issue or something like that so yeah it's all about being adaptable
0: yeah man yeah so last question okay so yeah. how do you like monitor fatigue and to like pro probably like put in the best stuff you think it is for them
1: yeah that's a good question um a lot of it is is really subjective in the fact that i i talk to our players a lot so you know i see them basically every day um i have a great relationship with our with our uh sports medicine staff so um, you know, if they're seeing me on a day for a training session, they're also seeing somebody for treatment that day or they're seeing somebody. So, you know, we have a meeting every morning that, that provides us with some context from the sports medicine side of, of what they've seen with an athlete. Um, and then it's just talking to the athlete themselves. So how do you think that you're, have you been feeling like what are some areas that we need to keep improving on? Um, and I think that those are a little bit more helpful because the, like our force plate testing happens one time a week. So think about all the variables that go into, you know, what day of the week that is. Like, have we just come off a game the day before? Have we just had two training sessions for the two you know, consecutive days before? So there's a lot of context into that. And you can say, like, they can pull red flags on those force plate numbers that say, you know, someone's, you know, looking a little fatigued. Like we probably need to address this, but overall, like, Workload management—that—that's going to depend on the style of play that we, you know, the team that we played the night before. Like, if they're a more fast-paced game, that workload per minute is going to go up, and, and you know, vice versa if we play a slower-paced team. So, I don't know that you can necessarily, unless you've had a guy for a couple of years and you can say you have some markers on on their load that says, okay, every fourth game we start to have this issue with their knee. So, like, let's monitor that. That, which is a luxury at this level, right? Because yeah. guys move around from team to team a lot. I think that it's hard to make those correlations. So really, just having that conversation with the guys every day, yeah. with and to be able to say, "How are you feeling? Like what? Like, I I really love um, like Daniel Bob's quadrant system. So Daniel Bove from the from the New Orleans Pelicans. I love his his book quadrant systems because it really makes that idea of training high, you know, high volume, high intensity on your on your high sport demand days and then you know low on your low days so i use that concept a lot and so if they if, if they've really had a tough day the day before and i know that from a practice standpoint it's going to be a little slower on the next day um that next day for me is going to be a low output kind of a more restorative day also so i try to balance that out with with their schedule also
0: well what was the book again
1: uh, it's called quadrant system i might have it in my bag um it's by Daniel Beau. Um, The quadrant system so yeah i would check it out it's a it's a a great little read Um, it makes a lot of sense and and i think that you just have to be able to apply it in your setting
0: okay so that's kind of like all the question i have for today and the last time i watched the pacer game it was was richard miller was still playing hey that was a great time to watch (laughs) but from today i'm gonna start watching it okay there you go. You
1: better. Yeah. 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 We play the Celtics tonight, so. Okay. I'm going to watch it. There you go.
0: See you, man. I hope probably, like, after the season, I would love to, like, invite you and talk to you again. Okay? Is that okay sure. for you?
1: Yeah, That'd be great. Yeah.
0: Love it, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime, Eric. Yeah.
1: Appreciate it, man. See you. See you,
0: See you, bud.